This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 34. This is the 200 Churches Podcast, created to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who lead and pastor in a 200 church and strive to provide information and encouragement to make you smile, think, and be challenged. The Lewis and Clark of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. I'm Johnny Craig, and as usual, I'm here with... Jeff Cady and... Doug Cady. Doug Cady, my offspring. Welcome, Doug. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Doug is uh, with us via Skype from the illustrious Sioux City, Iowa. Doug, what? Uh, tell us what you're doing in Sioux City. I'm a junior this year at Morningside College here in Sioux City. I play basketball, and I am majoring in business administration uh, with a BS in management. And uh, tell us what just happened to you recently, Doug, what you're suffering from. Suffering from a sprained ankle with some partially torn ligaments from a basketball accident. That's, where uh, that sounds juicy. Very juicy. You poor guy. But you're you're handling it like a trooper, right? I'm trying to. He All only right. cried himself to sleep like three days last week, so his it's good. <laughs> hey, Doug, as a pastor's kid, you have the illustrious. Um, qualification of having lived all of your life in what? A parsonage. A parsonage. He has never lived at home without living in a parsonage. I don't know that that feels any... Well, now he couldn't tell you if that feels any different because he's never had the flip side, but I don't know that that feels any different really to a kid. Doug, were you ever aware that you didn't live in your own house? No, just being in a parsonage just kind of always seemed like home to me. I guess there's not too much. I I wouldn't really know of a difference. The people who pay the bills know the difference. <laughs> the people who make the decisions on, I want new carpeting, but I can't get it. Those are the people who know the difference about parsonages. Hey, Doug, have you ever gotten new carpet in your room in a parsonage? No. Yeah, the answer is no. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> but you've always been thankful for every place you've been in. Yes, exactly. Okay. So now, Doug, I was a pastor's kid, too. And just to clarify, that's, what, that's why you're on the podcast today. Jeff on uh, Monday wrote a blog. He never told his kids they were pastor's kids. LOL. I mean, you, I, I'm sure you figured it out after a while. You were a pastor's kid. I was a pastor's kid as well. A little bit different denominations and things like that. But what, what, I mean, what's the best thing? We'll start on the positive note. What is the best thing about being a pastor's kid? What was the best thing for you about growing up with your dad being in the ministry? Besides getting hugs from all the old ladies in the church, I, would, I don't know. I'd probably... Say just when I go to church, you feel welcomed by everyone, and you're not, I don't know, it's just the church is really friendly to you, so that was probably a big plus side of it, and just growing up in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, without anything really being forced upon me, it was kind of probably the good side of being in a pastor's home. Now, I said in my blog post the other day, Doug, that I pre- I don't think us being a pastor's family really ha- had a whole lot to do with what happened in our family and the things that we did or didn't do. Um, I'm, I always used to say, you know, well, we're Christians, so it's not just we're, that this is a pastor's family. Would you agree with that? And do you remember times when I would have to say, hey, you know, we are we are the pastor's family. We need to do this or that. Well, I mean, besides when we'd sit down for meals and you'd make us, you know, memorize a chapter out of each book of the Bible <laughs> before we eat. Well, other, other than, than that. other than that, I mean, <laughs> besides that. No, I, you know, it just, it was always just kind of like we were Christians and there was never anything, well, we had to not do this or do that because we we're a pastor's family or no, you can't do this. It was just kind of, just kind of we're Christians and that's how we go about things, I guess. 
I would now I would say on the flip side, when I was a kid, being a pastor's kid also meant you were the church janitor for the most part. Uh, I remember cleaning the church. I remember mowing the church lawn. Now, th- those are smaller churches, so there's an aspect of that where if you have custodial staff to take care of those things, <laughs> your kids don't have to. But, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a church event that I wasn't at. There wasn't a potluck that I wasn't setting up and tearing down tables for. Um, there wasn't a Wednesday afternoon program that I didn't have you know my grimy little fingers in somehow. Was it the same way for you? I don't know. There's times where we we had to tear down the walls over in our church right now in the fellowship hall, and there'd be times where my dad would have to use a little force to get me to come over and actually want to do it. Just <laughs> a little it, force. Just a little force, just some screaming and some throwing some stuff. But Doug, Doug, easy now. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It was never anything too serious, but I usually enjoyed doing what whatever I could to help out. Hey, Doug, I got another question for you. What, what is the, what's like the best memory that you have growing up? I mean, we grew up, you grew up in New York till you were 11 years old. So when we moved there, you were one. So what do you think, what's, a, what's your favorite memory growing up as a pastor's kid? I would probably say my favorite part was um, we, had a, we had a gym at our church uh, in New York. And so with my dad being the pastor, we always have access to that gym. He'd take us over there. Me and my brother, Joel, we could always... Um, get in there at night and we'd play games. My dad would shoot backwards over his head, half court shots, and he'd make them more times than he missed. Thank you. Doug. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And just and a lot, even when you're a youth pastor, I really enjoyed uh, tagging along and showing up to youth groups. And I always loved being with the older kids, playing foosball with them, doing balloon, water balloon wars and stuff like that. So I, I have a, I have a three-year-old Doug, you know, you love my son, but I can tell already that he's into that stuff. I mean, we, we were outside playing in the street one night for youth group, and in our town you could play in the street because nobody's going to drive by, but we are playing ultimate frisbee or something in the street, and all of a sudden I see him come streaking around the house, booking toward the road as fast as he could with the biggest <laughs> smile on his face, and he just wanted to be with the big kids, man. He just wanted to come hang out. Uh, he had escaped. He wasn't even wearing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to haul him back inside, but he loves it. He loves hanging out with the big kids, that's for sure. So, Johnny and Doug, you guys are both pastor's kids. Was it any different for you guys, like with your friends or at school? I mean, other you're, you know, your friends knew you were, you were the pastor's son, and did were there expectations uh, put on you by your friends or your friends' parents or by other people because they knew that you know your dad was the pastor, therefore you could or couldn't do certain things? Sure. Well, I mean, in high school and stuff, it was it wasn't it was a public school, but there's a lot of it's probably more of a Christian school than it is a public school, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. Parents would I, one of the positives was parents, you know, would always be, oh, you're hanging out with Doug, you know, he's a good kid, he's pastor's kid, and yeah, I I, I lived up to to that recognition, and I I was always me and my friends, we always stayed out of trouble in high school, uh, stayed away from a lot of stuff that some high schoolers do that probably is not very moral or legal. And then once mm-hmm. I got to college, probably the big thing was I had a intro to biblical studies class my freshman year. Um, at a Christian college in Northwest Iowa. And I guess probably the big thing there was when they would ask some deeper questions into some context in the Old Testament or something. A lot of times kids would look at me in my class, you know, being the pastor's kid and stuff. And I mean, frankly, it's not like I knew the answer that that often. It's not like you had to memorize a chapter (laughs) of the Bible at every meal. Right, right, right. right. And and there's a lot of kids that aren't pastor's kids that knew way more than I did. But I mean, so yeah, that's, that's another part of you you never forced anything upon us when we were kids as the you know what I'm saying you never forced anything mm-hmm. upon us so it's kind of 
our own choice. You know, I don't remember. I don't remember there being any extra pressure to behave or be good. Of course, that just might be my rebellious streak. <laughs> I wouldn't be aware if it was there. But I, I don't remember that pressure. I honestly, I remember going to a summer camp where my dad was doing some work, kind of doing my own thing. You know how I am. S- some stupid, like you're supposed to wear a name tag around your neck, so I clipped it to my belt instead. And, and so some other people started doing it, and then I saw them again, and they had it back around their neck. And I was like, you know, what, what happened? And they said, oh, they told us we got to put it back around our necks. And the people who had told them that, I'd had interactions with them while I was there, and they at no point told me to do those same types of things. And so, honestly, I think I almost got some preferential treatment sometimes. Now, I kind of I didn't like that, so I just put it around my neck so that I didn't <laughs> so so that I didn't look like the kid who was getting you know good treatment. But I you know I didn't like that. I don't think that that's um I think that could be a very negative thing for a pastor's kid to get preferential treatment because of that. I would say to you listening, encourage encourage your church people to just treat your kids like any other kids in the church, for sure. And they're going to see them a little bit more often. Like like you said, Doug, you get all the hugs from the old ladies because they see you every week. You don't miss church. Everybody should treat the pastor's kids just the same way that they treat any other kid. Hey, Doug, what do you think are the dangers and challenges for a pastor's kid? I mean, you're so close to the church so close to, you know, spiritual stuff. Are there dangers in being so close to God in a sense in that way? I mean, there's obviously the stereotype that a lot of pastors' kids, they'll go off the deep end once they get out of the house, once they go to high school, or once they get out of high school and go to college or whatever, you know, they'll go off the deep end or whatnot. But I guess for me, it was never really that big of a deal because, yeah, you just never force anything upon us. Yeah, and I, I don't know, it just seems like there's there's the danger of, yeah, you might be way too sheltered when you come out and you're not really sure how to adjust to the real world once you get out of the house. And then, but then there's also the danger of what if you go overboard, if you've been way too close to the church or if you've been forced stuff into your life or forced principles way too much. I think it's, it's easy to slip away from that for some kids. And And, and I'd say that's probably. And why do you think, why do you think some kids do just like go off the deep end? What do you think is true in a family where, because this is going to be true for any family, whether or not really it's a pastor's family. But what do you think is true in a family where kids, when they leave the house, they go off the deep end or sometimes even before they leave the house? I don't know. I think it's just they've been so close to something their whole life and it's been such a norm for them that when they see some, when they see the outside world or they get involved in whether it's alcohol, drugs, or there's a lot of stuff out there. And I think, I think a lot of times pastor's kids aren't, they don't see that side of the world uh, growing up and their parents are really strict with certain things. But yeah, I think, I think the best part for a pastor coming from being a pastor's kid, I think the best, best part for the pastor to parent the kid would probably be just to, you know, not be too strict with them and to like, like you weren't too strict with us um, and to have a trust built up, a mutual trust, you know, you'll make the right decisions. So Jeff, you and I talked on Sunday about authentic relationships And we talked about the importance of being even authentic with God. And, you know, for kids, the first thing that they know about God is what they know about their parents, right? In theories of development, it's, you know, you talk to a kid about God, the the only thing that they can understand about God is what their parent looks like. So in the same way as we talked about being authentic with God and being willing to have your fears and doubts and, you know, to to voice your frustrations and anger, um, I think it's important for for pastor's kids to have space where they can be authentic 
with their parents where they can say, hey, I have these fears, doubts, questions, concerns about the faith and not think, man, my dad will practically, my dad or mom will practically disown me if I come to them and tell them that because, I mean, they're pastors. So, Doug, did you, I mean, with your dad, did you feel like there was always an open space to communicate about those types of things? Yeah. You know, during, especially during high school, I never really had towards the middle part of high school and the later part. Like, I never really had a curfew on weekends. And yeah, I think it was just the big reason for that was the mutual trust that we had built over the years. It's not like something that you just all of a sudden, hey, you have no curfew. It's, it's mutual trust that you have being open with communication, being able to talk to each other about anything. I think me and my dad have had a good relationship growing up and don't get teary eyed, dad. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but in all seriousness, so I think it's, it's just a lot of, it's just the trust and the communication that you have with each other. That's the biggest key to it. I think. Well, I think you had a curfew. It was come home. Oh yeah. Just that whenever I got the text (laughs) or whatever was going on. (laughs) Whenever you got that text that you were going to ignore and not not respond to. (laughs) See, you got a dad who's a night owl. If I had ever rolled in at 2 in the morning, my dad wouldn't have known the difference. 2 in the morning around here, your dad's probably awake doing some schoolwork or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was another thing. For for guys and ladies listening to this, um, I literally would, I would just stay up until my kids got home. And I, I guess it is easier if you're a night owl. But it also helps that uh, you can meet with your kids and talk to them and debrief with them, smell their breath, you know, look, check out the, <laughs> the their the whites of their eyes and all those types of things. And if you, you know, if you never do that, if you just go to bed and you just hope for the best, um, you, you know, and, and every I guess every parent knows their kids, hopefully, but too many parents really don't. Doug, did you? I mean, did you have friends that? Uh, they were really messing around, and their parents had no idea. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, like you said, when they go to bed and hope for the best, that's kind of a from a parenting standpoint. You either have to enforce some curfew rules if you're gonna if you're gonna be going to bed at ten o'clock at night because your kids. Yeah, I have plenty of friends and classmates that I knew in high school who, uh, oh, you know, my parents. Yeah, they they're they're in bed by nine or ten, so you know I can get away with this or I can get away with that, and it's no big deal. Or I can go here, or go there, or do this or that, and I think yeah the. The fact that if they're if if they know that they got to go home and their parents are awake and everything and you just it, it just it's a lot it's a lot more unimaginable to go out and do something like that if you know that you're going to go home and talk to your parents every night. Now we have you and I have not talked about this in this way. Are you saying that because I was going to be awake when you got home that may have helped you? just a little bit and being accountable? Maybe to point, I just think growing up in high school with the group of friends that I had, you know, whether it was alcohol or tobacco or anything in high school, it was just, it was never, it was never even an option because we were athletes and we were dedicated to our team. And I just think, uh, you know, just there was, a, there's, there's a little bit of a spotlight if a pastor's kid were to go out and be doing that stuff. But that was just something I never really thought twice about in high school. And I think that's that's what kind of what separates me a little bit from other high schoolers is a lot of high schoolers have that temptation or to go drink or party or do whatever. But really, me and my friend groups, we never that was never really an option. We never even considered that in high school. And you got a little bit of help from two older siblings who kind of went through and, and left you a pretty good track record. And you probably didn't want to be the first Katie to go off the rails. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's a having two older siblings that kind of paved the way for me that helped too and yeah just going to being in a good community and a good raising a good family it was just kind of never really an option for me or even a thought to do that johnny how about you what was your experience in that you said your dad would go to bed early your folks go to bed early and what was your what was your experience in high school 
as a pastor's kid? This is a this is a hard question. Ultimately, parents have the most influence in their kids' lives and also as much influence in their kids' lives as their kids want them to have in their lives. And I'm not part of this this uh, community where if a kid goes off the rails a little bit, I'm pointing fingers at the parents. My experience, I have five siblings and my experience and their experiences could be different and you know, I have a sibling who got into a lot of trouble <laughs> in his life and and then some who who Never gotten into any trouble. I, I kind of was in the middle somewhere <laughs> with my trouble. I think that I was raised with a pretty good understanding of what what a moral you know young man should be and should act like. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with my dad being a pastor. Sure, um, going to church. I mean, I heard every sermon. I heard every kid's lesson. And he, as a pastor now, how much do we wish that people would show up with with enough frequency to, to actually ingrain some of the things that we talk about. I mean, you're listening, you're listening to me say this out there, and you're thinking, yeah, I, if I preach a series and I have somebody who shows up for three out of the six messages, they're not going to have the same takeaway as somebody who shows up for six out of the six. Well, I went to every church service, and that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other you know, random thing thrown in, I was at all of that. And so those types of things had a chance to ingrain themselves in me, I think, uh, in a way that a lot of people don't get. And I'd say that's a big upside of being a pastor's kid is you do go to those services. You do get to hear that stuff on a very, very, very regular basis to where it might actually start to ingrain itself into your heart a little bit. What do you think about that, Doug? Being at church every single Sunday? Uh, that some of the stuff that you hear sinks in, even if it's being spoken from your dad. Yeah, I think it's um, it's kind of what you what you want to take from it. And just when you when you get up and you preach on stage, you know, you're it's like my dad, it's like you're talking to me as a father son kind of thing. It's not like you're it's not like a boring pastor that I'm going to go sleep through church or whatever. And I, I don't know. I just think it's just pretty normal. I don't see much difference as to when you step on the platform as to when you're off the platform. So Doug and Jeff's. In Jeff's show notes that he that he writes up beforehand, he wrote something here that I was making fun of him for a little bit, just because because I didn't understand necessarily what. As a pastor, I say I love the people that are under me, you know, my that are in the congregation, that are in my youth group, and all that. I love those people. And he wrote on here to be loved by your spiritual leader, and I'm and I'm thinking, well, we love everybody. <laughs> everybody right. in the church should feel loved by their spiritual leader. But I think what you just said hits on what he meant when he wrote that. And that is when he stood up on the platform, when he, and when he, gave a, when he gave a message or when he gave a youth message that you might have been to or heard, when you heard those things, you heard those in, within the context of your relationship with him. You knew that he was your father who loved you, and you heard them as that. It wasn't just Pastor Jeff. Yeah, because I know what you mean about boring pastors, and when you hear a boring pastor, it's easy to tune out. But you're listening to your dad talk to you, you know how much he loves and cares about you, and you love and care about him, and those words, I think, sink in in a different way. I think that they do hit a pastor's kid a little bit different. And the flip side can be true, too, to, uh, to you listening. The flip side can be true. If you're a hypocrite, your kids know that you're a hypocrite. Uh, if, if you struggle in an area and you stand up and pretend that you have that all figured out, your kids know. And so you have a different level of accountability with your kids than you do with just uh, any other normal person in your congregation. 
So, Doug, what's the last thing you'd like to leave with uh, uh, with a pastor who's listening? They've got a couple kids. They've never been pastor's kids, but something you think is important for them to keep in mind as they're raising kids in ministry. I would say, as a parent, as a pastor, for your kids, I would just say, don't beat any, don't beat anything into them. Don't, don't overdo anything. Don't require them to do this or that. But I think it, it just comes a lot from the kid, and it's gonna how the kid turns out in life after they leave the house is gonna be. It has to be something genuine from their heart and their relationship with you as a pastor and as a father figure. It can't just be something that's been forced upon them and beaten into them all the time that, you know, that once they leave, they, they just are like, well, they're on their own now and they can do whatever they want. No, it needs to be something that it's a mutual, it's mutual you're both mutually trying to become a better person. And it's not just something that can't just be on the, the pastor's end. So it has to be something with your kid that your kid has to genuinely have a genuine relationship with you. Thank you, Doug. Yep. See you later. So, Jeff, Doug, Doug's a great kid. I've, I've loved Doug since the moment I got here. Um, we've become friends and everything, and uh, all your kids are great. I'm glad we were able to have him on. Jeff, I've got a five-month-old and a three-year-old. I'm at the front end of what you are at the back end of, mm-hmm. and that is bringing up pastor's kids. And so for me personally, what would you tell me? What, w- what would your lasting advice be to me as I get ready to navigate a lot of the weirdness that is raising PKs. Well, I'm glad you said earlier that you don't put the way a kid turns out, you don't throw that all on the parent. Because, That's true. Yeah, and I used to do that as a younger parent. You know, we raised our kids a certain way and we were raising them a certain way. And it's easy as a younger parent to be judgmental, to have this judgmentalism toward parents whose kids maybe aren't turning out so great. And what I've realized is there's some kids that uh, have, have really gone off the rails and have great parents. And then there are some really terrible parents. But the kids are just, you know, they're perfect. They, they love God. They want to do what's right. So you can't always equate the two. However, that, does, that doesn't uh, absolve Abdicate us our, yeah, yeah, exactly. from, from doing what we need to do. And, and so what I share with you is this is, this is what I've done, and, and that's all that I can share. I'm sure that there are, all, there are many different right ways of doing things. Right. But, but one of the things that I've done is I've, I have tried to have just a real relationship with my kids. So when I'm wrong, I tell them I'm wrong. When I've messed up, I tell them I messed up, I apologize. And when we do things, I want it to be the things that, because I'm a believer, because I'm a Christian, we would do this anyway. It's not because right. I'm a pastor. It's not because you live in the parsonage. You know. It, <laughs> right. And so there were times when my own kids didn't go to the youth group at our church because I didn't feel like it was the thing for them to do. I felt like they, the, the youth ministry in our church at that time uh, wasn't something that was going to capture them, capture their heart, or really meet them where they were at. And so I just said, hey, you know, you guys can go somewhere else. Now, granted, the youth ministry was somewhat weak and, and almost non-existent. We should say now, you have yeah. a 15-year-old who exactly. does go yeah. to youth Exactly. <laughs> so Johnny, uh, Johnny here is our youth pastor. He's yeah. our associate pastor, and he oversees youth. And I'm thrilled that my 15-year-old son could be part of the youth group. Yeah. But there was a time when I could have said, hey, I'm the pastor of this church. You've got to stay in this youth group. And there were even some elders in our church who were pressuring me just a little bit, and not too bad. We've got great elders, but a couple of them were saying, hey, you know, if it's going to be better, you've got to keep your kid involved in it. 
But I didn't. I just said no. I've got to do what's right for, for my your kid. Right. Your your kids are more important than the church, and they're more important than people's expectations right. of what I should do. So, right. so you know, that's what I would say to you. There may be times when even I might put pressure on you. You know, to maybe do a certain thing with your family, or hey, you and your wife have got to do this or be there, or your kids need to be involved in this or that. And I think if what we're doing is good and we believe in it, that's great. But if, you know, sometimes things in churches aren't going all that great. Sure. And why should we drag our kids through stuff that isn't going all that great right. when we even know it's not going all that great, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, we can handle it. Sometimes our kids can't. And I've always felt like, listen, just because you're the pastor's kid, I am not going to force you to do stuff that you don't want to do. And I hope that the things you do, you really want to be involved in. So you've got two boys. You know what? If they want to be involved in it, great. And some sometimes they're wired a little bit differently. Right. They're not going to be involved in every youth group thing. And that, you know what? I think that is fine. And I think I think that's great, great advice. Um, it's something I've seen you model since I got here, and it's something that I'm excited to to use with my own kids. Um, if you're listening today and you have some kids, um, this is important information. Don't don't throw all sorts of pressure on them as pastors' kids. Uh, they feel it already, you know. Uh, don't don't ask them to do things that you wouldn't ask any other kid to do. And t- get out there and tell your people, hey, really treat this kid like any other kid. Don't come down harder and don't come down softer. Just treat this kid. I'm, and Jeff, that's what I do with Mitch and youth group. I treat him just like any other kid um, because that's what he is. He's just a fifteen year old. Yeah, and I was talking to my oldest son just the other day about this, and he was telling me that, you know, growing up, well, we never talked about it explicitly and said, hey, you're in a pastor's family, you need to, you know, do this or that. He said he always kind of felt, he always put that on himself, and he would say, hey, my dad's a pastor, I don't want to embarrass my family, I don't want to embarrass him. I And I think that he saw that I was being genuine with him and being genuine as a person and as a pastor, and he didn't want to do anything to kind of drag my name through the mud. And I, and I suppose if you're a pastor who isn't genuine, you know, you're screaming and hollering at home, you're not taking care of your family, you're not treating your wife right, you're not treating your kids right, then maybe your kid wants to drag your name through the mud. And basically what my older son said is, you know, Dad, I didn't want to do that, but I didn't want to do that for our church either, and I didn't want to do that for God. You know, I didn't want to drag a Christian's name through the mud or our church's name through the mud, and that helped me uh, make a decision early on that I was going to have a certain type of a standard for my life that I just followed from from there on. So if you have kids and, and you have some extra tips for us, if you have anything to say that could be helpful to another listener, throw that in the comments. And And seriously, this is an area where nobody has arrived. Like Jeff said, there could be a dozen right ways to do this thing. So if you have some advice, some thoughts on this subject, throw that in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm sure everybody else who's been listening would love to hear from you as well. So that's all from uh, the 200 Churches studio today. You like that? I'm going to start saying that. I like that. Studio. That's classy. The 200 Churches studio. And that's why we have an audio podcast and not a video one, right? (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) right. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.